Hello Church, if you're making time to listen to this, you've already accomplished half of what I want to talk about in this conversation together. And I just need a minute or two because we already know these thoughts, but I, I need to remind us of them and, and ask us to just take a second to consider them. This past Sunday, we talked about Jesus flipping over the tables in the temple. He was righteously indignant about how God's house was being used, how God's place of worship, how his temple was being used for all these worldly pursuits. It was, it was injustice. There was you know, social injustice, people being extorted, and money that was too expensive for them to afford. It was an imposition on God's worship. The, the money changer was set up inside the temple. Uh, it was substituting a place that's supposed to be a relationship with God for a place that was busyness and work and commerce and worldly treasures instead of heavenly ones. And so there's lots of applications to that. And on Sunday, we kind of approached it generally. But I've had one specific application coming to my mind all week long that I just want us to take time to think about, and that's in regards to our time. What's one of the biggest obstacles we face and that we feel? I don't have enough time. Right? I don't have time. I want to make my temple and my body a house of prayer. I want it to be a place of prayer, but I'm so distracted by all the things that I have to do that I'm thinking about that I can't focus. You know, I want our church to be a temple, a house of God, a people of God, but we can never get together because we're so busy with, with sports and with hobbies and with time that we just actually do need to rest at home after busy work things, after stressful events in our lives. Sabbath, we find that well, we can't all get together and it's a time thing. You know what Satan does with that? He brings guilt and he brings shame, neither, are which of, neither of which are from God. So if we look at our lives and say, I'm meant to be more of a temple of peace and worship and connection to God, but my internal sanctuary is cluttered with temporary things, woe is me. Satan's won in that moment, if we respond that way. How did Jesus respond? He got mad about it. He got indignant about it. He fought for it. He said, no, there's a lot of things in life that aren't worth fighting about, but it is worth fighting to preserve and protect God's glory and our connection to him. There's nothing more important because you can gain the whole world but lose your soul. So we need to fight for our souls. And busyness is Satan's number one trick. Distraction is his number one trick. Uh, illusion, smoke screens, number one trick when we really need to focus and look directly at the Father and say, what are you saying to me? You love me. Let's spend time together. Where are you calling me, Jesus? I, I want to follow. And so uh, this book came to mind, and I wanted to read just a little excerpt from it. Uh, Michaela suggested this one, and she thinks that every Christian needs to read this. I'm about halfway through, I agree. <laughs> Get this on an audiobook. Talk about time, right? If you commute to work, listen to it on your way to work. If you unwind when you first get home by turning on the TV or by... Um, listening to the radio or <clears throat> by doing something mindless in the workshop or the backyard or wherever, like put this on. And if you like to sit with a cup of tea at night, read this instead of a fiction book. And until you're done with it, you might not be equipped in the right way to know how and when to put that fiction book into your life and what space does it occupy. The book is called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And he's, it's by John Mark Comer. And He's just really, it's an indictment of how we look at time. But funny, not in a shame and guilt kind of way. In a way, it's like, well, let's be honest. We don't have enough time. But let's also be honest. We actually have plenty of time. Hours aren't the problem. It's what we're doing with them. It's how we're managing them. 
It's how we're spending our time. If we look at our tables in our heart, you know, Jesus tipped over tables metaphorically, <clears throat> what are the things that take up our time? Do some of those things need to be removed, like Jesus just literally cast stuff out? Maybe some of them need to be swapped. We're spending a time commuting into work, and we think that's, you know, decompressing time, but maybe it's worship. Maybe that time is worship. Or maybe it's ministry. Maybe as you commute to work, you should be calling a different person every day. Just saying, how can I pray for you? Instead of praying on our own, using that commute in another way. When we go to work, it's like, well, I don't have time after work. Okay, well, you spend many hours in the job, at the job site, in the office. Uh, what if you're there doing your work, but with your eye open to who can I pray for? Who can I minister to? What if we repurpose on these tables, kind of clear off the worldly part of them and place things on the table like prayer, like encouragement, like healing, like witnessing, like joy, and then we live those areas of our life in a different way. And so he does a great job, much better job than I can, but I encourage us to think about our time and recognize usually when we say we're busy, a four-letter word, remember, busy, if we say that, uh, we then feel defeated. And I say are we too busy to nurture our souls? Well, then let's get mad about that. And let's do something about it. And even if it's 1% change every day, or 1% a year, give us some hope that we're progressing and being sanctified in a manner that eventually will end up like Jesus, who knew how to have perfect peace in the midst of trials, who was asleep during the storms because he was so calm about it and so confident in God's deliverance that there was no fear. He didn't even bother being awake for the storm. And his challenge, his rebuke to his disciples, his apprentices, was, Oh, you of little faith. And then they bowed down and said, Our Lord and our God. Do our lives look like the house of God? If someone just look at how we spend our time. Do our, our thoughts and our internal dialogues and monologues feel like the house of God? If someone were to look in, what would we be spending our time in thoughts doing. With our phones, what are our phones mostly for? Are they for browsing news, browsing sports, browsing Pinterest or Instagram? Or are they tools to connect with other humans? Are they learning devices that we can listen to podcasts or, or, or read articles that might nourish our faith? If we're going to spend the thousands of hours that we do looking at those devices, what part of that is God honoring, and what part of it is all just distraction. So whether we're clearing tables out of the temple, whether we're repurposing them, exchanging them for a different thing, whether we're leaving something on the table, but just totally turning it around so that it serves God's purpose, the goal would be that we feel like we are the temple. That when someone asks how we're doing, we say, man, life is good. Life is full. Not life is busy. Busy is an indication that we're feeling defeated. Full is an indication that we are bearing fruit. So let me read his words to us to kind of challenge us and encourage us and ask you, what do you need to tip over in the way of tables in regards to time in your life? Are you too busy to even think about it? Or are you too defeated to feel like it could work? Or are you too alone to feel like someone could come alongside you and help you? Or are you thinking so small that you don't realize what it could be like with you and God if you were willing to do that? Or are you too in love with the world to be willing to give up on its temporary distractions and entertainments for something that will truly nourish your soul? 
that those are the choices and the mindsets that we have to face and we have to answer God for and that we get to make. The beauty of free will, we get to choose to pursue God as he calls us. So a few words here just to consider, and then I encourage you to read this book and to just think about Jesus' righteous anger about the things that matter the most. And our souls in Christ's church matters the most. He writes, following Jesus has to make it onto your schedule and into your practices, or it will simply never happen. Apprenticeship to Jesus will remain an idea, not a reality in your life. But here's the rub. Most of us are too busy to follow Jesus. He writes, anytime I teach on a rule of life and some of the core practices for life with Jesus, I hear the same refrain, that sounds great, but I don't have the time. I'm in grad school. I work a demanding job. I have little kids. I'm training for a marathon. I'm not an introvert like you. Honestly, excuses. And I get it. I live in the same world. They are good excuses. He writes, I used to smile and nod and let the awkward moment pass, but the older I get, the more I feel the courage to push back a little. Sometimes I'll graciously ask, are you really? <laughs> How much time do you spend watching TV? And this usually spawns a different kind of awkward moment. How much time do you spend online or on social media? Shopping? I'll suggest that people keep a log, a time log for a week. And when they do, they are usually shocked at how much time they give to trivial things. Most of us have more than enough time to work with, even in busy seasons of life. We just have to reallocate our time to seek first the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of entertainment. And on the rare occasion, and it is very rare, that someone genuinely does not have time for the practices we'll get into in part three of this book, I gently suggest that they are simply too busy then to follow Jesus. No guilt trip. No shame. Again, not helpful. Just an honest appraisal. The hard truth is that following Jesus is something you do. It's a practice as much as faith. At their core, the practices of Jesus are about a relationship with the God he called Father. And all relationships take time. Let's say your marriage is less than ideal. Your spouse comes to you and asks for more time together, simply to enjoy each other and to get back on the same page. He or she asks for, say, one date night a week, 30 minutes a day of conversation, and like a little time on the weekends, basically the bare minimum for a healthy marriage. If you say, sorry, I don't have the time, all the while giving 30 hours a week to things like TV and the internet and your fantasy football league, Anybody with a modicum of common sense would say, yes, you do. You're just wasting your time. Or he or she would say, well, then you're just too busy to have a spouse. So either you need to radically rethink your schedule or you're en route to a divorce. Hopefully you would advocate for the former. Now, is our relationship with Jesus any different? We get out what we put in. And this isn't some legalistic guilt trip. This is an invitation to the life we actually ache for, a life that can be found only by moving through the world shoulder to shoulder with Jesus. So I guess we come to a crossroads, a get-on or get-off moment. Are you ready to construct a trellis for your vine? You know, Jesus being the vine, the trellis being the framework of your life, a trellis for your vine. A schedule, a practice or two to create space for life with Jesus, to make room for love and joy and peace 
to become your default settings? Are you ready to arrange or rearrange your days so that Jesus's life becomes your new normal? I mean, they're just like, ah, oh, the words hit home, and I hope we feel them that way. And then right at that, that moment of, of emotion, when it rises up, think, am I feeling guilty or am I feeling inspired? We, we're just saying a truth. We're too busy to follow Jesus. Does that make us feel shame or does it make us feel righteous anger? How did the world get into me so much? How did I conform in such a way that I've got nothing left for what matters? We've got to be fighters. Jesus was a fighter. He fought for what mattered. This matters. And with missional churches, as we're going and trying to do and trying to bless, oh, I'm too busy. Are you too busy to be right with God? Are you too busy to help someone else be right with God? Are we busy just like serving lots of people and it's filling our schedule and getting overwhelmed and it's not from God? Do we feel shame when we say no? Or do we feel like, oh, I just not this time. I have a hundred other opportunities because my life is so rich with experiences with God that if I miss this one outreach, it's okay. This month I'll be doing ten other things at other times. It's okay if I don't do this one thing now because it's not the only time in my life it's ever going to happen. I'm living these practices of Christ every day. So please think about your sanctuary. Think about us as the house of God. And think about our time. Being missional is a lifestyle. It's a mentality. It's how we go about everything. And we should do it every single day until we see God in glory. And then I guess we'll be missional with each other and the angels in heaven. But don't let Satan take our lives into the busy realm when God is calling them, calling us to move them into fullness. May God bless you as you work through this with his spirit this week.